Welcome to Experts Only Podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital. You can learn more at cleancapital.com. I'm your host, John Powers. Each week, we explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance with leaders across the industry. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back to Experts Only Podcast. My name is John Powers, and today we're speaking with Amy Francetic, the Managing Director of Energize Ventures. Amy's a, a business executive and entrepreneur with over 25 years of experience in the energy and technology sector. And she's had a really successful career uh, and last year uh, helped with Energize Ventures efforts for a $165 million fund, one of the largest first-time venture funds raised in Chicago in recent years, looking at some exciting things that's happening in clean energy. Uh, she was, currently serves on the board of the Clean Energy Trust. The conversation uh, goes to a bunch of different places. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it and I think really hear about some of the exciting stuff that they're working on, but also some of the exciting challenges uh, that we have as an industry to sort of bring diversity into the workforce. Amy, thank you so much for joining us here at Experts Only Podcast. It's my pleasure, John. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. You, you've had an amazing uh, career. I'm going to sort of want to step back for a little bit for our audience and talk through some of the really interesting things you've worked on before ending up uh, doing what you're doing today. I mean, if you look back, you studied at Stanford, um, and then you, to my understanding, you, you went into, um, you were the CEO of a tech company that sold to Lego and worked at Hasbro. What, tell me more about that. What, how did you get into that space? Sure, sure. So I quickly, in my career, um, became interested in working with scientists and engineers and doing my part to help realize their ideas, their inventions, and bring them to market and uh, did a um, a project at something back, oh gosh, in the 90s uh, was, that was called Interval Research. And Paul Allen, the co-founder of Microsoft, of was um, funding Interval Research in Palo Alto. Um, and it was, it was sort of like an MIT media lab of the West Coast. And there were a lot of great artists and technologists and folks that were collaborating to come up with new um, new technologies and new things that would appeal to uh, consumers and would be on the very more creative side of technology. And so I was assigned this one group that was figuring out how to embed sensors into physical products and make a new interface for the computer. And Philippe Pierneau, uh was the lead scientist on that project. And so I helped him think of the different applications that would be enabled by his invention space. And we created a company called Zowie, which was using uh, toys to interface with the computer. So we put all these sensors into these toys and an antenna, and we actually built a custom chip, and we plugged that into the computer and used that toy to control a virtual experience um, on the PC. And this was for younger kids. And we ran that business. Paul Allen funded it along with another investor, and we ran that business and sold it in the year 2000 to Lego. Um, and wow. they included it in their sort of like high-tech line that they were creating um, at the time that eventually became Lego Mindstorms. Oh, interesting. And then you stayed, you stayed at Hasbro for a little while? Yeah. So Hasbro was before that. So um, oh. yeah, so I did Hasbro and worked on their first line of kids software. And we oh. were taking Hasbro properties and turning them into video games. And so I did Hasbro, which led to this project at uh, Interval Research, which turned into Zowie. And then when I sold the company, I actually um, exited the company and handed things over to our head of engineering to run. And that was my first experience being a CEO 
and was really hard work. And, you know, we were doing a really difficult thing, which was we were designing software. We were, you know, designing and, and manufacturing these toys. We were designing and manufacturing electronics because this was a you know a new space. It was complicated. It wasn't yeah. like you could easily OEM this, but it was sort of you know before the Wii and before some of these other you know very natural ways that people interact with with you know video games and PCs today. So you know you were sort of making it all up as we went, um, and that's how you had to do it. So I want to come back to that jump from going from sort of being a CEO of a company to later sort of being on the the investment side, right, and and serving on boards and working with entrepreneurs. Uh, but before doing that, so, uh, you know, you've won uh, awards for your sort of corporate leadership and corporate citizenry. Uh, you're obviously a leading woman in technology, currently living in, in Chicago. You know, if you had some advice for, you know, I, I think about my, my, my six-year-old daughter who we are aggressively trying to push in doing, you know, STEM things, for instance, right, at, at her mm-hmm. school, getting her mm-hmm. engaged. You know, what, what advice do you have for sort of young women coming up in this space? Well, I have two daughters as well. So I have a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old. So that is a very... Wow, challenging. Um, sa- salient. <laughs> yes, a very salient um, <laughs> request that you made. Um, you know, especially salient as we're thinking about my 16-year-old, you know, starting now to think about colleges and, you know, what she's going to do and what she wants to study. And, um, and you know, she's a math kid, um, but she's also a music kid and she loves music and she loves math. And so I see this, you know, interesting tension in her, which is this sort of math science and being drawn into, you know, maybe a, more of an engineering path, but then also her love of music and wanting to do music. And I think that, um, you know, it's, it's, it is also, those are the years, right? Those middle yeah. school years are the years when the kids, when the girls actually start to take a different path or are, you know, not encouraged to stay on their math and science path as much as maybe um, boys are where they, there's fewer and fewer girls in the classes and there's maybe fewer female teachers in the classes. So I think it's, um, I think that today, fortunately, you know, girls have a lot more support. Like I know my daughter um, is, doesn't feel that way. Um, doesn't feel like she's, you know, one of the only girls in the class, but I think that, you know, this idea of like, allowing your kids time and space to really pursue the things that they love. Um, and also like having them understand how much computer science or mechanical engineering, or, you know, even if it's biomedical engineering, how much engineering underpins so much of our modern life. And I think kids today being so proficient at technology, get that, like they understand how it's an enabling thing, right? So if they want to have a career, in video games, if they want to have a career, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, if they want to make stuff, then they, I think that they're learning, you really need to have this training um, in math and science in order to do that, because that's, you know, really driving um, our modern economy and and job opportunities. So my advice to my own daughter is um, pursue both, you know, so we're looking for schools where she can pursue music and she could do, you know, be a math major or she could, you know, major in engineering. I think, Definitely pursuing, you know, your as many of your passions as you're allowed to do, still get a degree and not make yourself totally stressed out, you know, and crazy is is the right approach. Yeah, I think we could do a whole nother podcast on that, and I'll make my daughter listen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can make her do anything. So going back to sort of the the career side for a second. So you know, when you talk about making the transition from being the CEO of a company, sort of being deep in operations, and then going to 
the investor side and you know are there lessons that you've learned that you take with you and share with your portfolio companies like how's that experience been yeah i think i think it's really good uh, for anyone that wants to be an investor to have operational experience and, and you may not have to be a ceo but to have you know pretty senior operational experience to work in a startup so that you understand what it's like to run a startup you understand the challenges and trade-offs and decisions that a CEO has to make um, so that you also understand how to do sales you know like even if your contribution is on the technology or product side um, you really understand you know and work closely with the people that are trying to grow the business I think is really really great experience for anyone that wants to be an investor and not only because you can walk in the shoes of the entrepreneurs that you're investing in, but that you really understand, you know, how to give advice, I think is, right. is really how to advise a company. What are the challenges? Okay. When we, when we did it, this is how we did it. Um, you know, here's, here's some of the pitfalls or, you know, looking around the corner, here's the things that I see around the corner that maybe you don't see yet, you know, as a CEO, this is your first time CEO. So, you know, here's what, how we dealt with some of these challenges that we think are coming that maybe aren't so much of a worry for you. And I think trying to add value in the boardroom. I mean, all investors, you know, claim that they want to be um, helpful and value added. Um, but I know from talking to our companies that that uh, not too many investors actually um, really really can do that. You know, right. so you know, a lot of folks want to just open up their Rolodex to help folks, which is great and super helpful. Um, but if you you know if you can really like you know tee up a sales call or go on a sales call or help you know really unpack what someone is telling you a potential customer is telling you and what they need in a in a feature set in order to win that sale that's a different level of help than just maybe um, pontificating in the boardroom so i think right. that the big thing is is being able to be really helpful to these companies and having um, some direct experience growing businesses or running businesses and i highly advise that for anyone that wants to be an investor yeah i mean we we as we've thought through our clean capital investors we are always thinking through strategic additions, right? And, and you know, as we talked earlier about our, our BlackRock investment we received earlier this year, for us, it was a, you know, a, a clear connection to something we wanted on our cap table. We're already doing deals together and the, the value add for us is significant. You know, we, and we, it's, sometimes companies are just looking for the money, but you, I think you really need to think through, you know, how you can make the most of the folks that you're bringing into your family. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you definitely want to, Solve for more than just the money when you're right. choosing an investor. Right. So, um, how did you go from uh, children's toys, really, and <laughs> the tech side into this into sustainability? So, this theme of working with scientists and, and engineers and inventors. I after we sold Lego, I um, a couple years later, I ended up at Stanford Research Institute, and I was working in the ventures and licensing department at. Um, SRI, and they had a lot of government funding um, and private funding to do research that they were also trying to commercialize. And that meant either licensing it to other companies or turning into startups and looking for investment. And I, I worked on a fuel cell technology. And I knew that I wanted to move. Um, I had actually done some time between Zowie and there working in the wireless space. And I helped a friend of mine start mm -hmm a wireless company and um, helped him get that off the ground and then served on his board of directors. When he left the company, I had his seat and that was, that was eventually became glue mobile, 
Um, and his name was Scott Orr. I met him when I worked at Electronic Arts. He was one of the most successful producers at Electronic Arts at the time and worked on the whole Madden franchise and sports oh. franchise there. But anyways, so I had done this time period in wireless and I was working, you know, I had, I brought to Stanford Research Institute, you know, consumer electronics, wireless. And then I met um, one of the inventors there who was working on a fuel cell technology. And I thought a lot about the energy space then and, and became really passionate about the need to, to do something that would enable um, the growth of clean energy as a solution to climate change and, and some of the, you know, the worst impacts of climate change and how do we address this in our lifetime. So it became, you know, I really felt like, and then I became a mom. So that at the same time, I became a right. mom when I was there. And I, and I really thought hard about, okay, if I'm not at home raising my kids and I'm working, what am I doing that's going to make a, a benefit to society that's going to make something better for my kids, for their kids, you know, my grandkids, and and decided that I should devote the rest of my career to trying to solve that. And that's, that's what I did, you know, since then. I've been, I worked on Clean Energy Trust and then Energize Ventures and just feel really strongly that we have the technology and and the ingenuity to absolutely solve climate change as well as, you know, create good jobs for people and stimulate the economy with um, these new forms of renewable energy that are slowly taking over. Yeah. So let, let's talk about Energize. Um, for folks that aren't aware, Energize, it previously been in, in Venergy, right? Basically, because that was sort of the LP behind it. But but in uh, if I get this right, in 2018, you'd GE and Snyder and a couple other LPs come and you, uh, you guys sort of rebranded in, into Energize Ventures. Can you talk a little bit about the history of the the the, uh, the firm and sort of what you're looking for? Sure, sure. So before Energize, I had run started and run Clean Energy Trust with right. the purpose of funding uh, new companies throughout the Midwest, which was severely underfunded with seed capital funding new companies that were starting up, you know, many of which were spinning out of labs and universities that were trying to to create new clean energy companies. And, and we were writing first checks into a lot of these companies. And I started that organization with Nick Pritzker from the Pritzker family and Michael Polsky, who is still the CEO of Invenergy. And Invenergy is North America's largest renewable energy developer. And so I got to know Michael and Nick for the, you know, seven years that I I ran Clean Energy Trust. They were the co-chairs of the board. So they were kind of my bosses. And I got Clean Energy Trust to the point where we had funded um, a number of companies, um, had raised a bunch of capital and built a really solid team. And I was really ready for the next challenge. And so I handed the reins over to my very capable COO named Eric Burkert, who still runs it today and set off to go look for the next thing and felt really strongly that I wanted to address the capital gap that was beyond seed capital. So Clean Energy Trust was funding all these really early stage businesses, um, but there was still this gulf then. Once you were able to get a little bit of capital, a seed round, even an A round, there weren't very many institutional investors um, at that B stage and that C stage because there was a big contraction. You know, Post-2007 to 2010, a lot of the big funds in the valley that had moved into clean energy moved out because the returns were not good, and they went back to you know um, social media and some of the other you know digital solutions. And so these companies were really struggling. And I talked to Michael 
um, after I left and, and he said, Hey, I think we should consider doing a venture fund. And I agreed. And, um, and so Michael Polsky and Jim Murphy, who is his president and COO of Invenergy, and I cooked up the idea for what became um, Energize Ventures. And we started life as the Invenergy Future Fund. That was what we, we fundraised under. But once we had pulled in um, so many additional investors, so Invenergy wrote us our first check and they helped to bring in GE and uh, Wisconsin Energy. And we, we have a very special relationship with Invenergy. Um, we, are, we, we are in the same building, but on a different floor. And we um, have very good access to not only Jim and Michael, but other executives and scientists and engineers at Invenergy who help us diligence technologies, who are willing to pilot test technologies for us um, and give us some insights that, you know, we don't have on the team. So we pulled in 50, we have um, money from 50 different LPs. We closed the fund. We raised 165 million. We pulled in, uh, in addition to Invenergy GE and Wisconsin Energy, we have Madison Gas and Electric. We have Schneider Electric. Caterpillar Ventures, and then a number of families, foundations, and other institutional investors um, that make up that $165 million. And our focus of the fund is to invest in digital solutions primarily that um, optimize uh, energy and industry. So we're looking really at that hardware and software layer that drives better performance from the equipment and the infrastructure. And we have a special, we pay special attention to clean energy. We're looking for benefits to to the clean energy industry in particular. So it sort of spans cybersecurity, mobility, data, operational efficiency, sort of distributed energy, just some of the different companies that you guys are, are, are tackling. How are you finding these portfolio companies? So what's the process you guys are, are undertaking? Well, yeah. And, and, you know, we're in Chicago, so we are a little bit, um, I think, gratefully outside the echo chamber of right. um, Silicon Valley. However, we have, you know, five companies that are headquartered in uh, Silicon Valley because there is a lot of great innovation there, of course. And, you know, I built this amazing team. So I have this great team. So John Tuff is on the team. He's a partner here. He did a, a, a period of time at Kleiner Perkins. He actually, like myself, lived in San Francisco, moved back here for family reasons. So, you know, I came back here to Chicago to raise my kids, to raise my girls 14 years ago. And John did the same thing. So, we understood each other. And uh, Juan Maldun is on my team. Um, he was the first person I hired actually to help, you know, kind of put together the, the financial approach and, and the pitch for Energize. And then we have um, Katie McLean and Tyler Lancaster and they have a great um, female CFO named Lori DeLuca and a great, you know, head of our office, Stephen Kernbach, who have this awesome, awesome team here. And we just are out hunting constantly, um, looking for these companies. And you know, once we were done fundraising, we were able to do a little bit of press around what we were doing to raise, you know, our brand and, and to get some visibility into yeah. the entrepreneurial community. We're really good co-investors, you know. So we like to lead rounds. We're happy to price rounds. We're happy to lead. Um, also happy to follow. And I think we've been very deliberate about getting to know the other funders in the space because all these companies, you know, need syndicated rounds of capital. And we're starting now to get deals referred to us by our LPs as well as by our existing CEOs, which I think is really, those are really two of the best ways to yeah. look for deals. Uh, so it's starting to work. So it's starting to work, but it takes time. I mean, it takes time to kind of build up, you know, that, that, persona, that brand, but we're, we're finding companies and we're very focused. I mean, I think that's the other thing that's helped us is we've got a, a really clear focus on 
these, you know, digital, this optimization layer of energy and industry. So I think the right kinds of things are finding us as well as us sort of being out hunting, um, very, very deliberately looking for these companies. Yeah. So let's, let's add some color to what, what these companies are. So you've got, uh, for instance, a, a, a charging station company, uh, you've got a sort of a network, which I don't fully understand what Nozomi is, but you've got a, a, a drone company in there. <laughs> add a little color yeah. to what these companies look like for our listeners. Sure. So many of the companies are SaaS businesses, so software as services businesses. Yep. Volta, who you mentioned, um, has a really unique design for charging stations that includes a big digital screen on which they serve ads. And those ads pay for the electricity. So the car charging is free. Yeah, it's free for the car owners. And it provides a little bit of revenue to the real estate partner. And they um, place these stations at uh, grocery stores, shopping malls, sports venues, movie theaters. And they get the best parking spaces right in front. And so they're monetizing the eyeballs, the foot traffic of everybody walking in and out of that venue. Um, And it's free. So it's the largest free charging network in the country. It's also the most highly utilized charging network in the country. Their their numbers blow away all the other um, charging stations. And it's because people will, you know, park and sort of charge their car while they're at the movie or shopping or whatever. And they get, you know, very, very highly utilized. So the, we the, even though they their their product is this physical station, what's unique about them is the is their business model. They kind of turned that charging business model on its head, and we really like that. We really liked how the CEO Scott Mercer was thinking about this and what his vision was for how to um, build out this infrastructure in in a very cost effective way. So, so that's Volta. They're in San Francisco. They're doing awesome. They're rolling out city by city. They're in Chicago. They've got a very big presence actually in Chicago. And they've got five or six people here, which is so cool. And I think one other company maybe I'll mention that I think will be relevant to your to you guys and to your listeners is Aurora Solar. Yes. Um, and so they're they are very cool. They're, we we funded them in January, and they're in San Francisco, started by two uh, friends from Stanford Business School. Uh, who wanted to create a more efficient way for solar installers to design rooftop solar. So they built this best-in-class design uh, tool that allows a solar installer to use LiDAR data and satellite data um, to very accurately design uh, a, a solar installation for a home or a business from their desk. And it basically replaces the need for someone to run out to that site and measure and climb on the roof before knowing, you know, how much energy can be generated from that site and what the cost of it will be and what the payback will be. And so um, it it really helps address the sort of soft cost of rooftop solar um, and reducing that very dramatically so that the solar installers can target very accurately the best sites for rooftop solar. So they've got really, you know, very accurate shading analysis and irradiance analysis in the tool. Um, And they're also working with folks to help finance, to offer financing for the customer. And it's, um, it's a very clean, very smooth experience for the installer as well as the potential customer. Um, and they're just doing great. So um, that's a software services model. They're, you know, they're right now mostly in North America. They're starting to roll out overseas and we're just very pleased with their product. And we've heard, you know, they haven't, the, the tool sells itself. So they've grown mostly through word of mouth. That's and so great. 
with our investments are going to be, you know, heavily investing in their customer success and sales teams. And they're hiring very, very aggressively. So any of your listeners that are looking for jobs, <laughs> please look at the Aurora Solar website because they have a lot of openings. And uh, we would love to, you know, see them bring solar to as many customers as they possibly can. And you can get to that website through Energize's website, which is E-N-E-R-G-I-Z-E dot V-C. Yeah. Yeah. Aurora is really interesting. And I think they've got a cool, a cool technology. You guys focus on investing in leaders, right? And sort of identifying um, not just good technologies, but people can run from those firms. You know, one of the things I love your opinion on, we just had the head of the Solar Foundation on talking about their recent uh, workforce analysis and the challenges of diversity in our workforce. And it's something we at Clean Capital focus on. You know, we have a pretty good, we consider a pretty good mix. It, it's, it's challenging though. It's something you've got to think about at the sweet C-suite level. How do you challenge your sort of leaders to try to incorporate diversity into their, their companies? I think it's super important. And we have a motto here that um, is diversity drives alpha, you know, so oh, alpha being outsized returns for our investors, you know, and we consider ourselves to be diverse here at Energize, but also looking for diverse leaders, not only in ethnicity and gender, but backgrounds, you know, so we're you know, so that we're not over indexing on the same kinds of people, which is, you know, everyone is very inclined to do is to sort of find and hire people and invest in people that seem like you, you know, that look right. like you, that are familiar. And so, so to I think walk getting around outside Solar Power International and it's like one, uh, it's a very clear demographic <laughs> when you walk around there. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. I think some, so I think, you know, right now, like at, at you know, at our companies, as they're thinking about adding executives, um, well, or adding board members. Um, so I think, first of all, as in the boardroom is a really good place to start. Right. And I think it is, um, even if the investment world does not have a lot of women or folks of diverse ethnic backgrounds, you know, you can add that onto the board in 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 different roles, right? So, at right. independent board directors and looking for diversity in the boardroom is, is a really good place to start because then the CEOs will be reminded by those board members to hire um, diverse candidates, and and that will be something that is like a a good way for them to really keep that at the forefront of their mind. I mean, we would love to have a female CEO in our portfolio. It's actually one of the things that we're looking for. And as you can imagine, there are not so many of them. And I think we've talked to most of them and we're, you know, we have to also fit our investment thesis. So we're really trying to, you know, that's an even smaller subsector, but we're actively looking and um, we have wonderful CEOs in the portfolio now and are encouraging them to hire, you know, more diverse candidates on their team. Uh, mostly just to you know drive for that same alpha return in, in the startup that if they can get folks with more diverse backgrounds, and I think that the business is also you know new enough that we don't have to rely just upon the folks that have grown up in the industry, like you know, just like you guys in your business. I mean, you're really it's it's a new enough space that folks are coming into the business from all different walks of life and backgrounds, and yes, probably most of them have to have some kind of technology background or, or engineering background. Um, but I think about, you know, Invenergy, um, they've just grown like in the, in the years that I, since I started trying to do the fun with Jim and Michael in three years, I mean, they now have over 30% of their um, employee base are women. And because they made a very, very deliberate effort to do that, but also because they're hiring folks into the company that aren't, that they're willing to train, you know, they're right. willing, willing to teach them how to do that. How do you do development in this business? There, it's not like there's such a giant pool of 
folks that already have expertise. And, you know, if you're Aurora Solar, you know, you're looking for folks that have, you know, 3D modeling capabilities, but you're also looking to build out like a, you know, a sales team. And it's not like there's so many folks that you can draw upon. So you really have to be willing to train folks from other industries and look for folks that are just really, really entrepreneurial, that are creative. And kind of goes back to like where we started this with my daughter, right? That that sort of math science meets creativity. I think that that right. combo is a really, really deadly, um, potent combo for an for an entrepreneurial company. That's great feedback. So, two just two final sort of quick questions. The first one is, what do you sort of what, what are you guys looking for next? Like, what's what do you sort of see as the next exciting space in in the market that you know you're sort of looking for companies in? Well, we're very, I mean, we've got, you know, Volta in the mobility category. We'd like to have more companies in the mobility company, yeah. mobility category. So we're really thinking a lot about what that means. You know, is it, is it um, how electric vehicles, you know, interact with the grid? Is it more sort of that, you know, grid to vehicle space? Is it autonomy and electric vehicles and thinking about, you know, the future of driving and and how to address all the congestion and pollution that has come about from not only more people moving into the cities, but also all the ride-sharing companies serving folks right. and, and unfortunately replacing public transportation, right? It's like that kind yeah. of um, seeing a little bit of a backlash happening for the, the Ubers and the Lyfts, you know, where they're really you know, taking people off of public transportation and adding to this congestion and pollution problem. So how could EVs serve that need um, in the market and and we can kind of ride that wave a little further. We're very bullish on electric vehicles and um, being, you know, not only a um, a better driving experience and sort of certainly having environmental benefits, but, you know, total cost of ownership being lower. Right. Um, but thinking about, you know, outside of the personal vehicle space, like what, what does that mean? You know, uh, when you're thinking about buses, you're thinking about other forms of transit. I think that there's a lot of really exciting new opportunities there. And then we would love to have um, an investment in the in the sort of broader efficiency uh, space as well. We've looked at a bunch and we um, we haven't made any particular choices yet, but thinking about, you know, building efficiency or building technologies and ways to sort of reduce consumption at, at sort of more of a macro level, you know, right. how can you how can you do that? So um, that's a really great opportunity. And and it seems like, you know, there's there's some companies, there's more and more really interesting companies that are coming about. We just haven't picked one yet. Oh, that's great. And so, you know, final question, I sort of ask all our guests, if you could go back to yourself coming out of, of high school or even college, you know, what, what advice would you give yourself? I think that, you know, looking back and seeing my career, like all the different twists and turns yeah. that I took Amazing. and, you know, maybe sort of accepting that that's, uh, that's okay. And that, you know, enjoy all of those steep learning curves that come along the way with, you know, changing and sort of following your passions and and maybe your own creativity and sort of looking for something unique, you know, that you can do, like, just trust that if you're going to do that, it's not going to be a linear path. It's not going to be something that is very prescriptive, um, that you can build this plan and then stick to the plan, like, you know, allowing for that flexibility and not only just allowing for it, but honestly, just to really enjoy it because, um, enjoy the ride. You know, for me, like enjoy the ride. Definitely enjoy the ride, but also to be endlessly curious, you know, and to, and to indulge that um, yeah, on some that. regular basis. I just feel like intellectually that's so important in whatever your field is, just to constantly be learning, constantly be curious, you know, constantly talking to folks who stimulate your own, you know, intellectual capabilities. I think is you'll never go wrong if you if you really embrace that. 
Well, that's, a, that's amazing advice. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining us on Experts Only Podcast. My pleasure. And congratulations on all your success, John. We're all very, very impressed and excited for you guys. So thanks so much for your leadership. Amy, I appreciate that. And, and, and for our listeners, you can get more episodes at cleancapital.com. And as always, you can submit advice on folks we should be interviewing. And please share our episodes. I'd like to specifically thank our producers, uh, Carly Badden and our, and our intern, Courtney Flynn, for helping to put together the research. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks for listening in today's conversation. Find more episodes on cleancapital.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We look forward to continuing our conversation on energy, innovation, and finance with you.